Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. We're looking at the verdict, that this interim verdict, which was uh, handed down to Israel on Friday. I'm looking forward to your take on that and your opinion on that. On the line, I have Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, who I'm hoping you can uh, send us some questions or queries you have regarding this uh, interim verdict, which is handed down on Friday. Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, he's a practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. Advocate, a very good afternoon to you, and thank you once again for joining us. Great to have you on board the Afternoon Overdrive once again. Absolute pleasure. Indeed, Mark. So, um, Quite a quite a verdict, quite a summary, quite a verdict handed down. Uh, much legal, you could say, jargon involved there. From a uh, layman's point of view, if you can just narrow this down for us, Mark, your summary assessment of this verdict? Yes, well, we find ourselves in the strange situation where mm. you're going to get two different versions as to what people think this judgment means. Mm-hmm. So... I was on SABC News last night, and Tuli Maroncella was uh, one of the guests, as was Natasha Haustorf. And they have very different understandings of what this judgment means, and I'll tell you what my own view is. Right. So, Tuli Maroncella accepts that no ceasefire was granted explicitly, but says it's tacit in the judgment that um, there must be a ceasefire, because she says the order states that Israel cannot uh, kill anyone. Now. I can understand how a lay person could take a view like that. If you read the order on its own and didn't read the wording of the judgment properly mm-hmm. um, and ignored that it says within the context of Article 2, you might think it's not possible to conduct a war in which you don't kill anyone. Um, mm. But of course, that's not what it actually says. Um, what it actually says is that it incorporates Article 2 of the Genocide Convention and makes it very clear that Israel is perfectly entitled uh, to continue its war to eradicate Hamas. Uh, it is perfectly entitled to um, kill Hamas operatives. And of course, in any war, you're going to have civilian casualties. So all it does Indeed. is say, remember, you have an obligation in terms of the treaty that you signed, which is that you cannot engage in a genocide. So you cannot have genocidal intent to destroy in whole or in part Palestinians. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to, to kill civilians. So if we think about the ordinary laws of war, one of the things that you have to do is um, have a legitimate military target. Mm-hmm. Um, and you must ask yourself, how important is this military target? You must differentiate between civilians and militants. So you can't willy-nilly go and kill civilians. Mm-hmm. But if you realize that in order to kill you know, this number of um, Hamas operatives who've surrounded themselves by human shields, uh, that in the course that there'll be collateral damage to those civilians, the laws of war exactly. entirely do that. And right. there's nothing in this judgment that prevents that. So what you really have is a situation where the South African government go to court asking for a one-sided ceasefire. Mm. They say, we want Israel to stop its military endeavors in Gaza. So they don't ask for a ceasefire. Then a mm. ceasefire would be Hamas can't shoot either. They just want a one-sided ceasefire. Right. They go to court asking for that. That's their primary relief. And the court says no. So you'll see these scorecards floating around, 15 judges to two on various things. The scorecard on ceasefire was zero to 17. Zero judges endorsed the idea that Israel um, is not allowed to engage in this, this legitimate war. So what are the obligations on the Israelis? Well, one is basically abide by the law as it stands. Abide by the treaty that you signed. That's like me telling you in a court order, um, don't do anything illegal. Don't cheat on your taxes. 
it's it's completely redundant and this is exactly the line taken by the ugandan judge who signed who refuses to sign any of it mm-hmm. she says you cannot grant legal relief that has no meaning you're telling people that they must abide by the law when it's obvious they must abide by the law there's nothing in here uh, it has no effect so the only thing that israel has to do is produce a report um showing that after a month it has abided by its treaty obligations mm-hmm. um and so there's an interesting situation. We saw there was much speculation before the judgment came down. Is Israel going to abide? Is this going to be a political crisis where it, you know, it goes to the UN General Assembly or gets vetoed by America? Um, and Israel's in a very simple situation. You can easily abide. You can say, here's our report. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Now, there's an additional call by the court to say Hamas must release all of the, the hostages unconditionally. And we shall see whether Hamas cares about the international um, law order and whether it hands over those those hostages. Um, I certainly hope they do, um, but it may very well be the case that Israel will be the party who abides by international law and Hamas will be the party that continues to disobey international law. Indeed. You know, uh, Mark, okay, so you've mentioned the report. That's actually what I wanted to dig into here. So now Israel must deliver this report. And uh, I, I've read up the summary of uh, the declarations that the, uh, that the judges uh, drafted, uh, indicating that the report, upon its, uh, upon its submission, is then going to be perused. If I, I stand corrected here, but from what I've understood from one of the clauses there, it is also going to be perused by South Africa for its credibility and to see if they have any notes to add or anything, any, well, it would seem judgment to add. I, I'm sensing now the ICJ judges combining with South Africa to determine Israel's report. Uh, have I followed that correctly? Well, we must recognize that this is an interim order and yes. that the merits have you know, have to be determined. So as well, you'll find other things that are said in public, like um, a plausible case of genocide was found by the court. So that's not the case at all. The court Indeed. never said there was a plausible case of genocide. Mm-hmm. All it said was it's plausible that the rights mentioned in the convention are at stake. So you get that. You also get Ramaphosa saying things like, um, the Israelis have been ordered to stop committing genocide, mm-hmm. which implies that they have been doing it. Of course, right. the court never says that. The court makes it very, very clear the merits will be determined at a later stage. And so the report would then be useful at that later stage. So Israel can say, well, here's, here's our report to be delivered in a month, mm-hmm. which shows you that we're meeting our treaty obligations. Um, here's all the reasons why we're not engaging in a genocide, but rather legitimate war. The advantage of the report is, of course, that South Africa really ran an ambush piece of lawfare against Israel. So 29th of December, they launched their case, and they say we want a hearing within the first week of Jan, mm-hmm. and they get one on the 11th. Right. So the Israelis are in a situation where it's very, very difficult to provide a written response in such a short time period, something that South Africans have probably been working on for months. Mm-hmm. So now the Israelis are in a position where they can say, okay, we've got a month. Um, we can catalogue in great detail all of the measures that we have taken um, to show you why this is not a genocide, why this is legitimate warfare. So it's actually a second bite of the cherry, and I'd imagine quite a positive thing for Israel that there's that ability to produce the report. Now, South Africa can make a gloss on it and say what they like about it, I suppose, but really uh, that will be something to be examined in the fullness of time in that full case. Mm-hmm. And we must recognize this thing may take many, many years. If you go right. and look at the prior accusations of genocide, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, the, uh, I think the one in Serbia was, there were two judgments, one in 2007 and one in uh, 2015. Right. Conflict from 1998. Mm-hmm. 
Mark, okay, so we, we're just going to, if we can just stay on the line first, we're just going to take a short break just to get a short news update and uh, we'll come back to you shortly. Joining us on the line are advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. Fascinating analysis coming from him regarding this interim verdict, which was uh, laid down on Israel on Friday. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to the Afternoon Overdrive on 11.9 High FM. Uh, I'm Michael McKenna. Great to have you on board. Great to be with you. I have on the line Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar, giving us his feedback, uh, his take on this uh, interim verdict, which was delivered on Friday uh, by the ICJ on Israel regarding what measures Israel must take now regarding its uh, war efforts uh, in Gaza. Ronnie says, surprisingly enough, as anti-Semitic as The Hague is, this trial only back Backfired on Hamas and UNRWA. They were exposed for who and what they are. And uh, Alina says, Hi, Michael. On this melancholic Monday last week, I was consumed with work business matters. I have no idea why the ANC celebrating this myopic-minded group got half a win, in my personal opinion. No ceasefire hostages to be returned. Interesting. We touched on to that. Genocide was not declared, but glad to hear what your guest has to say. That's an up for you, Mark. And also, Ronnie says the interim verdict instructed Israel to do its utmost to minimize civilian casualties, which Israel goes above and beyond to do as it is. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for staying on the line. We were chatting about the report, which Israel is expected to submit in a month's time. But I still want to dig a bit deeper into that. Uh, Israel will submit its report. Um, given the way the balance uh, of, of this uh, ICJ case at the moment, uh, can you see these judges believing what Israel will submit? Well, I suppose it's a question as to which particular judges will actually sit in the main matter because it could be heard in many years to come. Um, mm. And some of those judges will retire. Um, what is interesting is if you go and have a look at the judgment from the Ugandan judge, mm. uh, she takes quite an explicit view that South Africa's case um, is laughable um, and that the court really should have considered more of Israel's reasons um, for engaging in the war. And so I think she would have dismissed it outright. Um, Indeed. But the court really hasn't expressed much of a view on the merits. There are some things that I imagine many listeners who listened to the judgment would have listened uh, with bated breath and and been quite upset listening to it um, mm. because you have a bit of a one-sided accounting of the facts. So, for example, right. the court says uh, 25,000 people have died. doesn't say, well, that's the Hamas Ministry of Health's number. And exactly. It doesn't say how many of those people were militants. Right. So that's a concern. Um, I, I get the sense that it's a diplomatic judgment. I think we must mm. recognize that you're dealing with a partly political court. And it's diplomatic right. in the sense that some people are going to say this is a win for South Africa. Mm -hmm. okay? And we've obviously seen lots of people say that because a lot of the language used in the body of the judgment seems to uh, recognize some of the allegations made by the South Africans. But as I say, the relief is overwhelmingly in favor of Israel. Um, and you have this call for the for the release of the hostages um, and so in some senses if it had ordered a ceasefire then you could have had a crisis where Israel has made it quite clear that they you know intend on eliminating Hamas and that it's important to continue the war and so that could have been quite difficult and so courts would have recognized that uh, producing such an order would have been uh, infeasible um, and so it's come up with this middle ground one way of thinking about who the victor was 
is to listen to the Palestinians. So uh, Al Jazeera went and interviewed a bunch of um, people who are in the West Bank who'd watched live in a in a in a theater the court's judgment, and they said we have been betrayed by the international court that this is an outrage, um, and this mm-hmm. just shows you how stacked everything is against us. So they saw that judgment as a loss. Um, so the idea that the Palestinians themselves would see it as a loss because no ceasefire is ordered and really the status quo continues. Um, Israel must just continue abiding by its treaty obligations. It's odd for the South Africans to then claim victory. Um, but I imagine that as a South African government, uh, you know, if you, and I think it's quite a, a reasonable thing to say, that the South African government weren't there because they care about human rights or because the international law order matters to them. Mm-hmm. On many occasions, they've threatened to withdraw from the uh, International Criminal Court to protect guys like Putin or uh, Omar al-Bashir. That uh, just before this litigation occurred, the ANC was um, was bankrupt. It was facing 100 million rand um, debt. Sheriff's knocking on their door. Right. Um, Naledi Pandor flies off to Iran. Uh, we meet with Hamas. Um, the litigation runs and all of the financial woes have disappeared. So it's, you know, fill in the gap. I mean, I, I don't know if it's possible to work it out. I mean, you know, greater <laughs> minds than me. Um, but I imagine you now get this outcome and it's kind of dissatisfying. So if you have been paid to produce an outcome like this, you better talk it up and, uh, you know, tell your mm-hmm. benefactors that mm-hmm. you actually got a win when you didn't. Mark, I will say something sorry. else that I found rather disturbing, mm-hmm. which is that... Um, the first news organization to interview me was Newsroom Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, about about 45 minutes after the judgment came out. And I said to them very similar things to what I've told you today. Right. And they published my interview on YouTube and they tweeted about it. And then a few hours later, the interview was removed from Twitter and from YouTube. Mm. Now, the other interviews that they had with other people who took uh, a different line to me remain. And that strikes me as a breach of the Broadcasting Complaints Commission's code, which is that... Right. When you interview anyone on a controversial topic, you're supposed to hear both sides. And removing one of those sides, mm-hmm. you know, really strikes me as um, foul play. And it's very um, disappointing to mm-hmm. see, you know, uh, a big news station like Newsroom Africa doing something like that. Indeed. Well, Mark, um, you having mentioned that, uh, one wonders, you know, not just here, but even abroad, you know, what exactly is the opinion regarding this, you know, looking at things fairly. And what have you. And when we look at the ICJ, I just want to read something out here. Um, I I purposely Googled this. So the question I put was, can you appeal the ICJ? The answer is, the judgment is final, binding on the parties to a case and without appeal. Brackets. At the most, it may be subject to interpretation or upon the discovery of a new fact, revision. Any judge wishing to do so may append an opinion to the judgment. Could we possibly... Uh, still see something come about uh, based on what I've just read based on what you were talking about uh, the credibility of uh, of the sources which were quoted at the ICJ I mean you quoted uh, you earlier quoted something which uh, <laughs> disturbed you I can bring up UNRWA for example given what's been tra- what's been uncovered about UNRWA now and the fact that uh, previously before even the case UNRWA has been known to at least uh, incite, provoke, or uh, instill certain teachings of hate and, and killing against a certain group. Yes, it's a very interesting point. Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, you, know, you have these revelations after the judgment that um, UNRWA workers were complicit in the October 7th massacre, um, and that you've got 
you know, hundreds of them, you know, disseminating all sorts of severe anti-Semitic hate speech and a number of countries around the world refusing to, um, to fund them anymore. Um, so, yes, that is alarming and, you know, something that you'd like judges to take into account. I imagine that it'll be something taken into account afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think there'd be a revised view on this judgment. Okay. Uh, what's interesting is that South Africans have tried to do things like this. So you'll know that uh, the Constitutional Court is our final court. There are no appeals Indeed. Uh, beyond that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has been slightly unsettled. So you'll remember that Jacob Zuma was uh, incarcerated by the court for contempt um, mm -hmm. and then said, well, I know I don't have an appeal, but I'd like you to change your mind um, and <laughs> said, you've made an error and revise it. And almost all of the judges said no, but two mm -hmm. said, you know, that this is a possibility for the court to do. Um, so ultimately, there was no revision. But there is this strange, there's another case where, um, uh, I think it's actually might even be the same case. There was a question mm -hmm. about when Zuma should be um, taken into custody by the state um, so that it be complied. And the Minister of, Minister of Police was obliged if he didn't hand himself over to go and arrest him within five days. And so they then went back to court and said, well, what does your order actually mean? And they said, read it. <laughs> We're mm -hmm. not going to tell you again. Um, and so the simple way of working out what the court order means is to be honest and read it. If they went to the court and said, well, we think it's ambiguous, of course, I'm not going to tell you what it means. It's already told you what it means. And any well, honest lawyer is going to sure. say, read the overhead paragraph that says Article 2 of the convention. Right. Mark, very quickly, just to wrap up, we don't have much time in a, in a minute. So what views, opinions on the verdict have you gathered from others in the legal fraternity? Yeah. Just very quickly. Yes, well, as I mentioned, Natasha Hausdorff, who's a UK mm. barrister and a specialist in international law, was also on the show on SBC last night and um, was astounded at the claims made by Tulima Ancela. Um, you know, you, you can take a view as to whether you think the judgment is good or bad or whether mm. it should have ordered a ceasefire or not, right. but you can't pretend it's done something that it didn't do. And so we are in very firm agreement as to what the order means. It would be interesting to hear from, you know, some people who, let's say, have no no stake in the game. Uh, right. who are just honest lawyers who say, well, I read the judgment and this is what it means. Mm. And uh, I'd be astounded if anyone, uh, you know, <laughs> worth their stature sure. would tell you that it means ceasefire. Indeed, indeed. Mark, we're going to have to leave it there. Mark, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon and giving a bit more of your time just to unpack this uh, interim uh, verdict that was uh, handed down on Israel on Friday. Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar.